Welcome to Let's Take This Outside. It's Marianne. Today's show will sound a bit different, and I'm really excited to share this with you. This is a special series in collaboration with Parks Canada to take a deeper dive into your favorite or soon-to-be-favorite national parks. Thank you for listening. Good morning. It's 7 a.m. Lake Louise time with my friend Shayna. Hi, Shayna. Hi. We are, we've been up since 5 a.m. And we are going on an adventure today. Um, Jasper, sorry, Bamp Lake Louise Tourism hooked us up with some, uh, with the ice, the Columbia Icefield adventure. So we're going to go hang out on a glacier today. Uh, First coffee, because the, um, the hotel coffee was was not sufficient. So coffee, breakfast, we're going to stop at Lake Louise. What are you most excited for today? Um, I can't wait to be on a glacier. I'm really excited to be on a glacier. Snowy, rocky peaks reaching high into the sky over 11,000 feet. Turquoise glacial lakes, grizzly bears, lynx, and bighorn sheep. Lodgepine pole, Engelman spruce, and subalpine fir, and adventure. Welcome to Banff National Park, Canada's first national park. This spring, I went on a little adventure to Banff, Lake Louise, and the Athabasca Glacier. I spoke with locals and experts on the history of this beautiful place and how we can play and protect these lands, plants, and animals. First, I spoke to Craig Baird history buff and host of the podcast Canadian History X about the history of Banff, its indigenous roots, and what it was before becoming a national park. Today we're talking about Banff National Park. This is a this is a biggie. This beautiful landscape has a very strong Canadian history. What was the Banff area before it was a, na- a national park? Well, it was pretty much untouched. I mean, it wasn't exactly an easy place to get to, but it was the home of the Stony Nakoda, and they lived there for thousands and thousands of years. And it was it's kind of interesting with like Canmore and Banff. Today, we think of them as very treed places. There's lots of nature, but the Stony Nakoda would actually come in and they would clear a lot of those trees out because it'd be a good place to winter, but also for the bison to go into. And so we've kind of seen it change from uh, being a kind of a, a almost like a grassland area to eventually becoming the treed area that we know. But the original inhabitants are the Stony Nakoda, the Blackfoot, some Cree, and very other indigenous nations who were attracted to the area because there was an abundance of wildlife. There's a river that goes through it and it's just, it's a stunning place. When did it become a national park and what was that process? Well, it became a national park on November 25th, 1885. And what I find really interesting is we literally finished the Transcontinental Railway on November 7th of that year. So within three weeks, we've already made Banff a national park. And that's just because it's such a beautiful area that we wanted to preserve it. And so it was our first national park. We'd get another one in 1886 and another one in uh, that same year. And it was the third national park in the world after Yosemite and then one more in the United States. 
states that I don't remember the name of. And then we created the Rocky Mountain or the National Park Act, which was kind of formed what we know of as Parks Canada. And that was actually the first real government organization for national parks in the world. It actually predated the United States' own National Park Service. So the creation of Banff as a national park came incredibly soon after we actually finished that road, that road, <laughs> that railroad linking, you know, east and western Canada. And we started attracting people to the area almost immediately. So the tourist part of it came very early on. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Van Horn says that, you know, we can't take the Rockies to the people or the nature to the people will bring the people to to the nature. And when we think of Banff, one of the first things we think about is Banff Springs Hotel. And that was built within three years of Banff becoming a national park. And that's because we wanted to attract people to that area. And it wasn't just because we wanted to show off how beautiful that area is. It was also because, you know, the CPR wanted those tourism dollars. It was a grand railway hotel. So we wanted to bring people there to boost the CPR, boost our tourism dollars, but also boost even settlement into the Western provinces or what would be the Western provinces. Because at this time, it was just the Northwest Territories. It was for so long the domain of the Hudson's Bay Company that didn't really want settlement in the Canadian West because it would interfere with fur trading activities. But eventually that all transferred over to Canada. And so we wanted to settle that. And creating something like the Banff Springs Hotel was a good way to do that. It was kind of a way to make people think that all of Western Canada was like that, when in fact, you know, it's only a small portion of it. We get that a lot in Alberta, where we'll really advertise that, oh, there's mountains in Alberta, but it's only like a sliver of Alberta. And the vast majority is, you know, grasslands and and forests. I have to ask, how were they able to build the towns, the infrastructure, the railroad, like that... That is incredible that they were able to build that. Absolutely. It it took a long time to build throughout British Columbia, but especially in Banff. And even with Banff kind of becoming springing up as this important place, that wasn't originally what was supposed to happen because originally the rail line was going to go through the Yellowhead Pass, which is closer to where I am near Jasper. But then when the CPR was created in 1881, it was shifted down to the Kicking Horse Pass, which if you've ever driven that area, the Kicking Horse Pass is a really difficult area to navigate your way up there. Like I cannot imagine taking a train through there. So it was a very difficult place to build a railroad through. But then also in this area, there was a lot of coal mining nearby to Banff is Canmore. And Canmore was a very important coal mining place early in its history. So there was that economic driver. So when you build the mines, then you start getting people settling there. And as people settle, they appreciate the beauty and then things like the appreciation for the nature and the national parks kind of come after that. But Banff was definitely the first real part of that creating a a space for nature. And then Banff slowly expanded out. So the size that Banff is now was not its original size. It, It eventually kind of just expanded over the years to be the size that it is now. If people were to visit Banff National Park, other than the Banff Springs Hotel, what are some great historic sites that would be worth visiting? There's actually plenty that are that you can find there. There's nearby, I don't know exactly where, but they should have pamphlets for it and things like that, where you will actually find memorial to the Ukrainian internees of the First World War who were actually sent to the Banff area and kept in a camp there. And they actually helped build a lot of the things that Banff now has, like including the the golf course. So there's something like that. There's obviously things like the Icefields Parkway, which is nearby, Lake Louise. But then you have beautiful things like Moraine Lake. There's actually a ghost town kind of in Banff, kind of, kind of not. I'm trying to remember the name of the lake. It's a very popular lake right outside of Banff. Dead Man's? Oh, uh, Lake Minnewanka. That's what it is. 
there's apparently a ghost town. If I'm remembering correctly, it's Lake Minnewanka. And what happened was when they dammed things, it caused that area to flood. So there's actually a ghost town under the water. I'm pretty sure it's Lake Minnewanka. I could be wrong, but I know for a fact that in the Banff area, there's actually a trail you can take because I've done the trail that details the history of that. I'm really sure it's Lake Minnewanka, but it, it's right near Banff either way. Cool. Yeah, it's can we do a whole episode on that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's all preserved under the water. It's it's really cool. Like people will actually go there and dive to to explore the uh, the ruins of this ghost town, which is kind of like a coal mining place uh, very early in the history of Banff. Craig, I love your insight on Banff National Park. I have to ask though, are you an outdoorsy guy? I am. I love going out camping and I like the idea of just taking a car and, and sleeping in the back. I watch a lot of videos of people just driving around in vans and exploring nature. Definitely. But I like camping and I, I've been to Banff and Jasper and Canmore many times and they're beautiful areas. Today, the park gets millions of visitors per year with the mountains and outdoor activities being the biggest draw. We talked to Kim Logan from Banff and Lake Louise Tourism. You are the Earned Media Manager for Banff and Lake Louise Tourism. And we've only really chatted through email, so it's really nice to chat with you. And I knew that, you, that you're that you from Australia, so I was actually pretty stoked for, for your accent, to be totally honest. I'm just another, another Aussie in Banff National Park, let me tell you. Hey, if you if you've spent any time in Banff National Park, as a as a listener and like what's the percentage of Aussies you would say at this like at least 50%, right? If you go to like a coffee shop, if you like you're most likely to hear an Aussie accent around. I mean, it's a good question. I don't know what the specific percentage is, but there's a decent amount of Australians in Canada for sure, and I'd say there's a decent amount of Canadians in Australia as well. So, there's that recipro- reciprocal love for one another's country. There is. And you moved to Canada or you moved to Alberta about 12 years. Well, Alberta is Canada. You moved to Alberta about 12 years ago and you must have thought I'm going for the outdoor experience. I'm going for the mountains. Like what was that process when you decided to move here? Yeah. So, you know, I was actually obsessed with Canada from a really young age. Like I remember I wasn't even 10 years old and I just thought, wow, like what a country to actually have nature on their flag, you know, with the maple leaf. And uh, I always had the dream of of moving over here straight after finishing school. And, and the idea was to buy a Subaru and drive around with the canoe on the roof and hike and camp everywhere. So had the Subaru, it was a lemon, had to sell it. And uh, I'm yet to get a canoe onto the roof of my Mazda, but I have definitely been embracing that outdoor lifestyle during the time I've been here. And, you know, I think that's why so many people move over for a ski season and they end up staying because it's, it's really special here. The access to trailheads and mountains, like I think you could live here your whole life and not have summited every peak or, you know, explored every trail. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the gems and how just how special Banff National Park is. How do you go from moving here, you know, you're and you become so obsessed with the area that you're like, I want to be part of tourism. I want to tell other people about how great it is here. Like how does that how does that happen? Yeah, that's a good question. I think travel has really always been my passion, you know. I've traveled to about 35 countries all over the world and actually started my career working for a PR agency and we had a couple of tourism clients. We had some ski resorts. Really loved working for those. That those were the fun accounts that everyone wanted to work on, you know. 
And then I, uh, I moved on to work for a luxury hotel in Banff National Park. And I was lucky enough to be living and working in Lake Louise for almost four years and really enjoyed that experience. And then with Banff and Lake Louise Tourism, I've been here. I started just before the pandemic. Sorry to say that uh, <laughs> the trigger, trigger word. I started in January 2020 to get to focus on travel is uh is is just fun and it's it's a great industry with great people and of course we have great product here in the Canadian Rockies so I'm very grateful to be able to promote such a world class destination. I also feel like it kind of it I know there's a lot more work behind it. I get that, but like it kind of sells itself a little bit. Right? Like it's easy to sell it. It's very easy to sell mountains and like incredibly most beautiful possible drives in the world, right? You know, we, I would say we are one of the more appealing destinations for sure. You know, we're, we're Canada's first and most visited national park. Like we see about 4 million visitors a year. So it, it has that domestic and international appeal. We're still working on, you know, shoulder season and winter visitation. It's summer that we're really known for. We have a reputation for our turquoise blue lakes. And our summer season is very popular, but outside of summer is where the real opportunity lies. And in my opinion, that's that's really where the the magic of this place is in winter. I uh, I just started cross country skiing when I moved to Ottawa. I've been cro- maybe like six years. I've been cross country skiing out west, and it's a whole different experience, right? It's a completely different experience because you know downhill skiing is amazing, but also actual cross country skiing. There's snowshoeing. There's I just talked to Will Gad actually ice climbing there's a million different options is there anything that i am missing when it comes to winter and not and i'm sure there's festivals and other events that don't involve climbing up the side of a mountain yeah gosh i mean the list of things to do in winter is really long you know you can base yourself here and do basically every iconic canadian activity you can think of either within the national park or just outside so ice skating is another one on our frozen lakes or skating rinks Cross-country skiing is fantastic. We actually have the first roomed cross-country ski trail to open in Western Canada every year, which is on Moraine Lake Road. Yeah, the ice climbing, its we have world-class ice climbing. Goodness. Yeah, snowshoeing is another one. You can do that at some of the ski resorts and also there's many other trails and we have a lot of fresh powder. So it's super fun to play in however you choose to. Also, I love biking from Canmore to Banff is an unbelievable ride. Yeah, the Legacy Trail is beautiful as well. And we have some staff members who live in Canmore and um, sometimes they commute in by bike along that trail. If I have friends or family visit during those months where the Bow Valley Parkway is closed, I, I always recommend it. You know, carry bear spray. I've seen bears out there while being on my bike. That road is renowned for wildlife sightings. In July and August, when you can drive it, I recommend, yeah, definitely keeping your eyes peeled, especially early in the morning and later at night for, for wildlife. My friend Shayna, uh, she lives in Calgary. She loves the mountains. And her only goal in life is to see a moose. That's her only goal. So I know that they're, I know that they, I've been reading a little bit about, I, they're, they're much harder to see nowadays, right? They're not, they don't just pop up all over the place like bears do. Am I wrong on that? Please, please correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, you're you're right. I think I've only seen a moose once in Banff National Park, and uh, it was actually on Lake Louise Drive, so between the village of Lake Louise and and the lake shore. Yeah, there were there were a few of them, and that was beautiful. There's like a swampy area where they were kind of hanging out, 
But um, that's the only time I've seen them there. Otherwise, I've seen them just outside the park in uh, the radium area and in Kananaskis. I think it's obvious, but what do you find so special about Banff and Lake Louise? And why do, why do so many people visit? Like what, like, is, I think it's easy, but for you, what do you find? Wow. Well, I think just the accessibility of adventure here. You know, the fact that you can literally walk out the door of your hotel or your home in the park and just be on a trail within a minute. You know, I think that's really special. And, you know, this is a place that people, like it's a bucket list destination. People plan their dream trips here and they've waited for years to come here. And it's like, it's a real treat to just be able to, to you know, do these bucket list hikes and, and activities um, after work and on weekends, you know, it's it's really special. And I don't want to give too much away, but do you have any must visits or any gems that you would like to share that if people are visiting, whether it is summer or it's winter, fall, what, what would you say is our good spots? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, let me tell you, winter is a hidden gem here. One of my favorite places is Sundance Lodge. So that is a lodge that's 11.6 kilometers in the backcountry in Banff National Park. So it's just far enough away, um, but you can feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. So it's this beautiful solar-powered log cabin, and you can horseback ride out there in the summer, but I think it's really special to go in winter, you know? Think like crackling fireplace and three-course meals, and kind of a quintessential Canadian experience. And you can cross-country ski or snowshoe or hike out there in the winter. That's one of the three backcountry lodges we have in the park. And I think, you know, our food scene, surprisingly, for a small mountain town, is thriving. We had so many new restaurants open during the pandemic. And yeah, we continue to see more open. And it's just a lot more diverse than it really used to be. And yeah, it's a beautiful place. Lots of Lots of options for your apres ski or apres adventure, shall we say, because year-round treats. <laughs> My favorite treat in Banff is the brownie at Wildflower Bakery. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't say I've had this famous brownie. You haven't had the brownie? Okay. Well, now you have, a, now you have something to do. <laughs> I have something to add to my list. Uh, Kim Logan, thank you so much for joining me, and let's take this outside. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Exploring and doing so responsibly are absolutely essential. So we talked to Natalie Fay from Parks Canada in the Banff Field Unit. 
people can't see, but I will describe it to you. So Natalie is not only wearing like the forest green Parks Canada polo, but then you have like beavers in the background. You have just like this green. Anyway, so you look very suitable for this interview. Yeah, like a parky in the woods, as we would say. <laughs> uh, Natalie, you're the external relations manager for Banff Field Unit in Banff National Park. Can I just, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, job titles aren't always super obvious. So yeah, yeah as the so I often say in layman's terms, I'm kind of the public education and communications manager. So, but what that really means for the average Canadian or average mm. visitor is that my team is the one that is sharing all of the fantastic trip planning advice, photos mm. on our Facebook and Twitter feeds. So all things social media. We also run the Banff National Park section of the Parks Canada website, which gets over 4 million hits a year. So we wow. know lots of people are visiting our website. So that's a big part of our job. And the reason for all of that is because the biggest thing that I do in my day to day is try to get visitors the information that they need when they're planning their trip to Banff National Park. That's crazy because it's exactly what I'm going to ask you about today. (laughs) um, We're here to talk about recreating responsibly for ourselves, for nature while in Banff National Park. And I think a lot of this will also make sense for other national parks or just being in in the wild in general, right? Can you tell us a bit about what kind of animals specifically, though, that we can see and hear in Banff National Park? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Banff National Park is primarily made up of wilderness areas, which means that it's a fantastic landscape for wildlife. So Banff National Park is home to many animals, so both herbivores and carnivores. Uh, if you are coming out this way to the Canadian Rocky Mountains, you'll certainly encounter things like deer and elk that you need to watch out for when you're driving and not speed. This is why we always obey the speed limit, because animals do sometimes wander out onto the roadways. But uh, yeah, elk, deer, so lots of ungulate that you will see. And then of course, you may have the opportunity to see something like a black bear or a grizzly Mm. bear, depending on the time of year that you are visiting. There are many other species that make their homes here. We have lots of birds. So it's a big spot for birders. Mm. A lot of people like to come out here and check those off uh, their lists, whether it be the various eagles that live out here. Black swifts are a species at risk that make their home in Banff National Park as well. So there's lots of different animals that you can see. And of course, one of the big parts of my job is making sure that when people have these fantastic experiences, that they know what to do to keep both themselves and the animals safe. The instinct for some people, which I see every time I go to Banff National Park, is to get as close as possible to the wildlife specifically when they see deer and bears and these animals that they might not see in their home province or their home country. Why Mm -hmm. should we be keeping a safe distance from wildlife? And can you maybe give a distance? Like how far? That is something that we see a lot and something that we work really hard to make sure that people give wildlife the space and respect that they need. You know, a lot of people that are coming to visit national parks, not just Banff, but elsewhere, come from urban areas, meaning that they're used to seeing animals in settings like a zoo, where oftentimes people are encouraged to get close to wildlife. So obviously, when you're visiting a national park, it's very different. And that's one of the things that we try to combat is this idea that 
seeing wildlife on the side of the road is the same as going to the zoo, which it very much isn't, is the, we are actually guests in these animals' homes. So what people need to make sure that they're doing is if you are in your vehicle and you see a wild animal of any sorts, do not get out of your vehicle. That is kind of the basic rule. Stay in your car, do not get out. Do not just stop in the middle of the road either. If you do need to pull over, we ask that people drive to somewhere safe to pull over and of course stay in their vehicles. We know people want to get those photos, which is totally fine, but they have to make sure they're doing it safely, not blocking the animal from leaving, not blocking other cars, and then moving on as soon as you've kind of snapped that photo. As far as distances go, when it comes to things like deer or elk or other ungulates, people should stay at least 30 to 60 meters, I would say, away from them. And then when it comes to carnivores, at least 100 meters away. So that's when you got to put that long lens on your camera and to get that photo, because it really is super important, not only for the animal, which it is really important to give wildlife space because we don't want them to get accustomed to humans, because if animals no longer see us as a threat, then that can lead to some problematic behavior. And of course, worst case scenario is that animal needs to be put down because it becomes a danger to itself and to people. So that's why by following really basic rules like staying in your vehicle, not getting close to a wild animal, please do not take a selfie with a wild animal. (laughs) You can do, you know, there's Photoshop for that is what I like to say. But yeah, keeping distance is really important just so that wildlife can stay wild. And not just when you're driving in in your car, it's like when you're in, it might be a little bit different though if you're like on a hike and you see a black bear or a grizzly bear, right? Is there any basic tips for that when you're in the wild and maybe you just happen to come upon one and it's less than a hundred meters? Yeah, absolutely. And that can happen, which is why we always say if you are coming into the park and leaving your vehicle, going on hikes um, or anywhere into wilderness area, please carry bear spray. It is honestly the best tool and like the best piece of advice that I could give your listeners today is make sure that you pack bear spray with you on hikes. Mm. When you're traveling through national parks, especially ones where you're in bear country like Banff, traveling in groups is a really good tip. Make lots of noise because what it is we want to do is signal that we are humans. We are not Mm. part of the natural environment and that will ensure that we're not sneaking up on a bear. So make sure you're making noise, have conversations, travel in groups, like I said, especially in the fall when bears are very hungry and they're out and they kind of have their head down in the bushes and they may not be paying attention to their surroundings. So it's super important that we're paying attention to our surroundings so not to come up on a bear. But if you do, of course, I do recommend everyone check out the Parks Canada website because we have some fantastic resources to help people know how to behave when these things happen. But the, the key with bears is to stay calm, get your bear spray out. And of course, I should say before getting on your hike, make sure you know how to use the bear spray, which <laughs> yes. is the most, could be the most important yeah. thing. But bear spray is a great deterrent. So get your bear spray out, know how to use it. Most of the time a bear will wander off once it sees you. But if there, you are in a position where it is coming towards you, release that bear spray, talk calmly. And in our experience, bear spray is the best deterrent and the bear will leave. For those with their uh, furry friends who like to come along with them, so I'm talking about dogs, it's important to make sure that dogs stay on their leash. And I cannot... Mm 
stress this enough. And it's really not about the fact that your dog has great recall or not. It's the fact that an off-leash dog can actually attract a bear to you. So by letting your dog wander off into the woods and come back, he may come back with a friend. So keeping your dog on a leash not only keeps your dog safe, but it keeps the wildlife away. And then you know where Fido is at all times and what he's getting into. There's plenty of resources and maps on trails for hiking and biking and recreating. Why should we be using marked trails and checking in to see if the trails are open? Because there's a myriad of reasons why a trail might be closed. That's a great question. And yes, staying on trail is definitely key, especially in places like national parks and provincial parks, places that are protected for a reason. And that reason is that there is sensitive wildlife flora fauna that exists in those areas. So by staying on the trail, what you're doing is you're allowing the park to stay in that state that it's supposed to be in. So it's maintaining that high level of ecological integrity. And in layman's terms, basically it means you're not stomping on the flowers and the trees that are growing just on the side of the path. So we have a fantastic trail system at Parks Canada and Banff National Park. The trails are absolutely beautiful. They're well-maintained. And that's why we ask people to stay there. The trails will take take you where you need to go. And by staying on the trail, you're also making sure that you're not going to get lost. Banff National Park is the busiest national park in Canada, I believe. Yeah. What tips do you have for getting around the park? Because I know that your transit options continually upgrade, I think for multiple reasons. Yes, it's the most popular national park. And we are so pleased to see so many, you know, millions of visitors that come every single year and enjoy this special place. But that does mean that you run into things like congestion and traffic. As Canadians, we know that we like taking our own vehicles places. But when we're talking about a place like Banff, it's not a city. We do have a lovely little town site, but in order to have the best possible experience, the key is to plan ahead. And when you're doing that, plan to take transit. So here in Banff, over the last several years, Parks Canada has worked really hard with its partners, uh, the Bow Valley Regional Transit Authority, Banff Lake Louise Tourism, and the town of Banff. And we've really increased and enhanced our public transportation offers. So here in Banff, we have our local transit. It's called Rome Transit. So we have municipal buses that take you to all of the key attractions in the park, which is absolutely fantastic because Mm -hmm. you can come in. So if you are a day visitor coming in from Calgary or something, you can come in for the day, park your car and get on transit to get where you need to go. And then that way you're not sitting in traffic because what you want to get to the views, you don't want to be sitting looking at the back of someone else's car. Mm -hmm. Um, So we highly recommend looking into that, planning your trip. You can actually take transit from Banff all the way to Lake Louise, which is obviously another really popular destination within Banff National Park. And it's honestly like we've seen such incredible uptake over the last few years of people wanting to take transit, mostly because it really is the most hassle-free way Mm -hmm. to see and do the most in the National Park. Natalie Fay, External Relations Manager for Banff Field Unit in Banff National Park. Now I definitely know what you do. Thank you so much for chatting with me. (laughs) Thanks so much, Marianne. Thank you for joining me on this journey of discovery through Banff National Park. 
A huge thank you to the team at Parks Canada and Natalie Faye for giving us great insight into playing and protecting Banff. Kim Logan from Banff and Lake Louise Tourism for your generosity and kindness. Craig Baird for your incredible history brain. And my team at the Sound Off Podcast Network for putting this whole thing together. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.